Good morning. Welcome to Thousand Hills. How many of you are awake? Five of you. Awesome. This is uh, one of those days where I, I, you know, I want to live out what, what the Bible says, that his mercies are new every morning. I need mercy on, a, on this particular day of the, of the year, don't you? Uh, but it's good to be in God's house together. You made the right choice to be here. I want to welcome everybody who's watching uh, through church online. Uh, welcome in this service as well. And I believe we're going to have an amazing day together here in God's house. Last week I wasn't here. I was in Nuremberg, Germany. Have you ever been to Nuremberg, Germany? I was, uh, I was part of, um, I was actually, I actually spoke at an amazing church there that we're connected with. It's, uh, it's called Ecclesia Nuremberg uh, with our friend Konstantin Kruse, who spoke at, uh, at the Thousand Hills Conference here just uh, two, months, two months ago. And it's amazing to see what God has been doing there for the last couple of years. This church in the city of uh, five, about 500,000 people grew from about 60 people ready to be closed down to, uh, to about 1,000 people every Sunday there and in a city called Erlangen nearby. So I was privileged to speak there. And also last Sunday, uh, one of our Arc Church partners uh, started in uh, the city of Paris. So they had 150 people at the launch of Celebration Church there. So why don't we give it up for God, uh, to God for that. It's amazing. God is doing something new, something profound in our day. I believe um, our best days are, are yet to come. The best days for the Church of Jesus Christ in Europe are still to come, even though we may hear of stories how churches are closing down. I believe something new is happening right at this moment, and we get to be a part of that. And it's great to be on the front lines of that. Also, um, if you are here, if you're fairly new to Thousand Hills, or if you've never done Next Steps, well, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Because of Easter weekend, we normally started every every cycle of that, which is free sessions. We usually started on the first um, Sunday night of the month, but we decided to postpone it with one week because of the Easter weekend. Uh, so, um, so if you're relatively new here, if you want to find out more what Thousand Hills uh, stands for, if you want to get to know us as a leadership team, we would love to get to know you as well and, and basically build that connection with you, figure out how you can best plug into the life of this church uh, because uh, church is best done together. It's, in fact, it's the only way how we can do church, and that is uh, by, by being together, by building together, by um, believing God's promises together and walking in them. So, uh, so make sure you join us for that. It starts on, on April 8th as well. And I uh, just want to kick off the last message in the Origin series. How many of you have loved this series so far? Okay. Okay, that's, you're very excited. That's awesome. How many of you love the series? All right, you're learning something new? Okay, that's great, that's great. We're going to uh, dive into uh, another great sto origin story, which is in uh, Ge Genesis chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, you can go to that, uh, that chapter, um, and I'll tell you more about that. Um, and as a matter of fact, because I like Genesis so much, I'm going to, after Easter, I'm going to share another message from the book of Genesis, uh, which kind of, uh, you know, is, is a great story as well. So we'll, we'll stay in Genesis a little while. But um, how many of you are work in advertising. Is there anyone working in advertising? Okay, one person right there and one more right there. Awesome. You guys are my heroes. I studied a little bit of advertising as well, marketing as well. And, um, and there's, a, there's a couple of funny stories, actually. Uh, if, you, um, if you work uh, as a company, if you work internationally, uh, you're, you're having to deal with languages. 
And um, if, you don't, if you're not careful, and if you don't have a great translation team, such as we have here at Thousand Hills, because we're a bilingual church, so we have to translate a lot of stuff. Uh, but if you, if you don't have that, uh, you can make some, some silly mistakes. I want you to laugh with me. Um, Electrolux, how many of you have heard of Electrolux? The, um, the, the vacuum cleaner company. Okay, they, the, it's a Swedish company. They made an advertising campaign for, for America, and this was the slogan. Nothing sucks like an Electrolux. <laughs> that was funny. And then this one. Um, Kentucky Fried Chicken. How many of you care for some Kentucky Fried Chicken for lunch? Yeah. Too bad there's no Kentucky KFC here in the Netherlands, okay? Their slogan is finger licking good. You know how that came out in, uh, in China? Eat your fingers off. <laughs> All right. How about this one? Uh, Pepsi. I don't like Pepsi, but some of you do. Uh, in Taiwan, the translation of their slogan, come alive with the Pepsi generation, came out just a little wrong. It's like this. Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead. <laughs> in Taiwan. This is all in the 90s. It's way behind us, but I'm sure many of those mistakes will happen today. Uh, so if you're in advertising, be very careful uh, of languages and how you do it well. Well, in 2002, I, um, I, I, I drove down to Belgium. And um, actually, I'd studied economics before. I worked uh, in the field of economics and marketing. And, 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 you know, actually not in marketing, but in uh, consulting, IT consulting and, uh, and management for a couple of years. And uh, then went down to Belgium to study theology. Because I, I heard, since God's call uh, to... Uh, to go down there and to learn, to learn about the Bible, learn about theology. And um, I went to a school called Continental Theological Seminary, which is uh, very close to Brussels, the south side of it, west side of it, actually. And um, one of the first people that I met there was a Flemish guy by the name of Patrick. So not Patrick, but Patrick, all right? And he, this guy was already studying at Continental Theological Seminary, and he did everything that he could in his power to make me feel welcome. How many of you that's a, know that it's a great thing that when you go somewhere by yourself in a new culture, new setting, that there, it's always great when there's at least one person who kind of cares for you, right? So that was what was going on right there. And, and CTS, the school that I went to, was an international school, and they had a program in English, which was the one that I was supposed to do, and one in French, which was not the one I was supposed to do because my French, uh, I can speak a little bit of French. Je parle un petit peu de français, mais pas beaucoup. I don't speak a whole lot of French, right? That was about all that I can speak. So I went down to this, uh, this school, and it was in a Flemish town called St. Peter's Leo. And, but the problem was that none of, pretty much none of the uh, professors and very few of the students actually spoke either Flemish or Dutch, which is, by the way, the same language. It just uses a few different words and uses a different accent. So, so like a couple of uh, examples, if you speak Dutch, like the Flemish wouldn't say helicopter, they would say, would say Hefschroefvliegtuig. Just a great example of, the, of some of the small language differences that are there. Um, another, another thing, I love having a sandwich with tuna salad and then put some, you know, some, some lettuce leaves on there. I love that. It's just amazing. I mean, you're with me on that one. Tuna salad, right? Tuna salad. So the um, problem was that, um, you know how you say that in Flemish? Een broodje tonijnsla met groentjes. Okay. Some of you who speak Dutch or Flemish here. 
That's different. It's just different. It's, it's not bad or, 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 or better. It's just different. Anyway, so, uh, so superficially, there are some differences between the Flemish language and the Dutch language. But there is a whole other cultural difference between Flanders and the Netherlands. It's big. It's huge. And I didn't know that. I should have gotten a, a Flemish culture class 101 or something like that. I didn't get that. I didn't, I didn't read the manual or so on how to deal with Flemish people. And I'm a blunt Dutch guy, right? And that's what the problem with us Dutch people, and I can say this because I'm Dutch myself, the Dutch are terribly direct and insensitive. You've noticed some of this, right, if you're an international. Uh, don't say yes, right, because you'll be in trouble. Okay, a few people raising their hands. Dutch people don't go after them. Don't look, right? That's, but the Flemish, they're the opposite. They're terribly indirect and sensitive. It's so different. It's a, it's a, so superficially, it seems like there's a different language, but going deeper, it's, it's so different between them and us. And although Pat, Patrick and I were speaking the same language, we had a major fallout because he felt that I was constantly overruling him and, or even bullying him. He's like, who's this crazy Dutch guy? Like I said, I should have gotten a Flemish one-on-one culture class or so. Now, what it did do, this, this big uh, clash between me and him, is it helped me understand that together with language divide, there is a cultural divide between people often. And this is what divides people around the world. And it actually helped me prepare for the start of this church, being an international church. Of course, we have Dutch services, but, but I want... Thousand Hills to be a, a, like a third culture. I don't want this to reflect Dutch, Dutch culture. I don't want it to reflect uh, Nigerian or American or, or Indonesian culture. I want this to be a third culture where everybody feels welcome. A culture that reflects the culture in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. Nobody else. And, uh, but anyway, so we have to deal with the situation in the world that, that so many people speak so many different languages and that there's so many different cultures around. In fact, even the cultural difference between Hilversum and Huizen is huge. And we have two locations, you know, in, in, in both of these cities. It's different. It's very different. I want to I go with you to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And uh, we're going to read the story of the Tower of Babel. And some of you have heard about this story or you've read this story before. But I, I want to comment along the way and draw three take-homes from that story uh, for you. Let's start with verse 1. At one time, all the people in, of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Let's pause right there. You see a unity right here. A unity through uniformity. They, they, they would have never had the cultural class that I and Patrick had back in those days, or, or even between me and my own wife. My wife is from Austria. I mean, her English is, is fluent, even her Dutch is fluent. But we're from two different cultures. And, and I can guarantee you that, that when you're in an uh, intercultural marriage, that there's always going to be clashes. I mean, every marriage is going to be clashes, but there's going to be an extra level of clashes because of the different culture between uh, two, um, two partners in that marriage. So it's important to realize that when you're married to somebody from a, from a different culture. If you don't know, you're probably Dutch, right? Because you, okay. <laughs> Some of you are getting this right now. But unity through uniformity is boring. It's boring. 
And you see here the story continues in verse 2. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Now, normally speaking, unless you live in New York or so, you don't build a tower like that. The pe people's tendency is always to spread out, to, to, to find space for themselves, where, where you actually have a nice little place with a little bit of land where you can have some animals, you can, you can you know, grow some vegetables or whatever you want to you wanna do. But you actually, uh, the normal tendency of people is to actually move away from each other, get a little bit of space. But it seems like this story here, that these people who are building this tower, that they were actually forced to build it. Because naturally speaking, they wouldn't do it. So they must have been forced to do it. And, and this must have been an easy thing because, because the people uh, in those days, they, they all spoke the same language, right? There was unity because there was this uniformity. It was because everybody was speaking the same language. So forcing unity over them must have been relatively easy back in those days. And it says, it said, let's build a tower that reaches into the sky. I just think that's such an amazing statement. What mankind was doing right here, they were, they were trying to build, they were trying to reach up to God. They were trying to, to get into heaven, to, to get closer to God in a way. But you know what? Every, every, every religion has that same premise. We're trying to reach to God. We're trying to get as close to God as possible. The problem is it will never work if you don't think of Jesus, if you ignore Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who made the way to heaven open for us. And we don't need to build towers. We don't need man-made religion to get to God because Jesus came for us. And having a relationship with him actually opens the way to heaven for us, opens the way to God for us. It says this will make us famous. Or the, another translation says, let us make a name for ourselves. <laughs> it's interesting how the world has changed. You know, I'm getting older and grayer and stuff. I'm 45 years old right now. Some people still consider me a young man, but... It's like halfway or something. And my generation and previous generations, you know, we, we, we were expecting to, to become famous because of the things that we have accomplished. If we didn't do anything noteworthy, if we just lived life on autopilot, none of us would have expected to become famous or something. And in my area of work as a pastor, uh, you know, you become famous because you write a book and it sells well. You, you lead a church to rapid growth or, or, or you simply are a great, great speaker that gets invited to all the conferences. Those are the things that make you famous. But the current generation, it's like these, these kids of today, you know, that's what you say when you're old, right? They want fame without accomplishing anything, at least some of you. I don't want to pick on the young guys here, right? Okay. This is not you. This is just all the other kids, right? They want fame without accomplishing anything. So a great example is a, there's a guy by the name of, um, actually, he calls himself Alex Lee. It's not his own name. He's a 17-year-old guy, and uh, he rose to fame. He was working at a, at a supermarket, and he was, you know, basically uh, packaging um, groceries in bags for the customers. And as he was doing that, this other girl takes a picture of him, puts it on Instagram. And when the guy goes to bed and then wakes up in the next, in the next day, 
he suddenly, his following grew from 100 people to 100,000 people overnight. How did he do that? <laughs> you wonder. He didn't do anything. And so, um, and now even his following grew to 1.5 million people. So I went online to Instagram, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, very, a fan of Instagram. I love Instagram. And I went to his Instagram account profile to see what are the things that he's posting. This must be a really good guy. He must be really smart. He must have really something to say to the world that, 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 that people like if you have 1.5 million followers, right? And I'm like looking and looking and looking. Can't find anything that's interesting. Nothing meaningful. But you know what? When this guy flexes his muscle, there's 54 million views. When this guy um, takes a picture, a selfie, 30,000 likes. And you know what? I got, I got close to 2,000 followers on, on Instagram. Yay! <laughs> and you know, when I share something that's meaningful, like a quote that can change your life, you know how many likes I'm getting? 20, not 60. 20. So you can help me with that, okay? And I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous at all. No, I'm not. Insta-fame feeds narcissism. You know, just live your life, post another selfie, as if, you are, as if you're already famous, and then expect people to like it and stuff and comment on it. You know, the, 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 the society that we've ended up in, it's all about me, myself, and I. I love how to say it in German. Ich, mich, meine, mir, ich liebe sie alle vier. I learned that last week. No, not really. Let us make a name for ourselves. That's the pitfall of one of the angels that was most close to God, Lucifer. He was said to himself this, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah 14, verse 13. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest mountain and be like the most high. It's like, I want to be at the same level as God, or I want to be even over God, more important than God. You know, arrogance is, is basically trying to build our own empire, trying to e equate ourselves with God or even be, be more important than him. And you know what causes this? This spiritual problem in our lives is, is because we're spiritual orphans. God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be our heavenly father, but when we ignore that relationship, when we, when we don't want to have that love relationship with our heavenly father, we don't find our identity in him, we're going to find our identity in other things. We're going to find our identity in our, in our fame, in our insta-fame. We, we're going to find our identity in our platform, who speaks at the bigger conferences. We're going to find our, our identity in our successes or, or even our failures instead of in what God says about us, who we really are. Dearly beloved children, sons and daughters. You know what? Fame won't bring you happiness and fulfillment. Only with a relationship with the God who calls you his own will bring you happiness and fulfillment. God is your father. You're a beloved son, you're a beloved daughter, but we can only experience that relationship with God if we, if we get rid of the arrogance in our lives of trying to exalt ourselves to, to his level or over other people. 
So God opposed the plans of the people who were, who were trying to build this, this tower here in Babel because they were living in direct rebellion against the Lord and against his purposes and plans. That made me ver- think of this verse in, in James chapter 4. It says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. That brings me to take home number one. You could jot it down. Humility paves the way for a God experience. How many of you love, would love to have, I mean, I think many of you have had God experiences in your life, but how many of you want God to reveal himself even more in your life? Yeah, it's more of us. I think more of us. We should all want this, right? We all want more of God in our lives. We all want to experience more of him in our lives. And when we turn from arrogance, when we turn from acting like we're the general manager of the universe, that's when God is attracted to us. James continues what he's saying in, in, in verse 8. He says, it's draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It takes an active drawing near to him for him to draw near to us. But you know what? Jesus has already, God has already reached out to us in his son, Jesus Christ. So we can actually draw near to him. We can actually reach to heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to come up with religion anymore to start to do this. Humility paves the way for a God experiences. God experience. And that is why Jesus was attracted to people like tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners. Jesus was attracted to those people not because they were so holy or something, but because they, they realized that they have done wrong and, and, and they were, they were um, humble enough to admit it. He said that those who are healthy don't need a doctor, but those who, who are sick, they need a doctor. The problem was with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is that they thought they were so spiritual. They thought they could pray so well. They thought they had God in their pocket. But Jesus didn't want to have contact with them if they didn't lay aside that arrogance. Humility paves the way for a God experience. Then verse 5, but the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. (laughs) Such an interesting statement here. I mean... When I think of what's happening right here, it's like God is, is looking down from heaven. It's like, it's like he's, opening, he's opening one of the, one of the you know, the, the ceiling. He's opening like the ceiling of, of, of the earth. It's like, um, um, like, a, like a, how you call it? Like a, uh, open it up, what, whatever. Hatch, whatever, hatch, thank you. And he's opening up. Ooh, what's going on right there? What's going on right there? Oh, how cute. They're building a tower. They're trying to get up to heaven. It's never going to work, but it's cute to see it. You know, all these little people running around on the world trying to build this tower. It's not going to happen. But it's, it's, it's interesting. But, and then he says this in verse 6. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And I believe that there's a tremendous power in unity. When people work together, amazing things can take place. Amazing things can happen. If we all speak the same language, if we all work together for a common goal, nothing is impossible for humans. But the problem was right here is that this unity that these, that these guys had there in, in Babel was a rebellious unity. It was a rebellion against God that birthed this unity and, and also an evil demonic unity. A great example from our recent history is, is Adolf Hitler. 
And it's Third Reich. Back in 1939, right before the war started, about 80 million people were part of that Third Reich. And, and what he tried to do is he tried to, to, um, uh, to basically force unity over, over, over his, his, his empire by making sure everybody spoke the same language. And the results of his oppressive regime were horrible. There was a unity that he was able to create around this, this demonic, you know, demonized man who was able to, to, to kill six million Jews plus many others during those six years of the war. Crazy. Because there was unity going on there. And I'm thankful that that something happened, that we don't live in the Third Reich anymore, because the world would have looked totally different than what it looks like today. God knew the dangers of this type of unity. Back in the days of Babel, you see what's going on right here, and you see, you see this. Come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them over all the world, and they stopped building the city, that, that is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. It was always God's intention to let the people spread out over the whole world and inhabit it. That's what he said to Adam and Eve, you know. You multiply and you spread out over the whole world. It's what he said to Noah after the flood. You, you, you know, you multiply and you spread out over the whole earth. But apparently, they didn't do it. Up to that moment, the people did what they felt, felt was right instead of what God wanted them to do. And by confusing their, their languages, they were forced to spread out from, from Babel and, and do what they were supposed to do in the first place. The unity in Genesis chapter 11 was wrong, but there is a unity that's positive. And I want to turn with you to Psalm 133, verse 1. That's a unity that God loves. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren and sisters as well to dwell together in unity. There's something amazing that takes place when, when a church is united, when people who love God with all their heart, when they're united, when they're walking in unity, something amazing takes place. That's what the psalmist here says, what he recognized. It's also what Jesus said. He said this, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So when, 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 we're, when, when I'm gathering together with you and maybe with another person or maybe with hundreds of people like here at Thousand Hills, you know what's going to happen? Jesus is in our midst. That's what, what I love about Sundays like this, that Jesus is here in our midst. He's in our midst. And even in small groups, in our connect groups, you know, Jesus is in our midst when we gather together in team meetings, for the amazing dream teams we have here at Thousand Hills, Jesus is in our midst. And I love how Paul ends his 2 Corinthians letter. He says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So when we are of one mind, when we are united, God promises that he will be with us. That's amazing. You know, the God of love and peace will be with us when we walk in unity. And, and with God on our, on our side, everything becomes possible. Everything is possible. With God on our side, we become unstoppable. You can say amen to that. With God on our side, we become unstoppable. So take home number two is this. Unity and submission to God's plan makes us 
unstoppable. How many of you want to be unstoppable? How many of you want to be successful in life? Okay, come on, don't be so religious here. Show if you want to be unstoppable in your life. We all want to be unstoppable in our lives, right? So, if unity is such an important part of that, make sure you are part of a connect group. Make sure you, you find your tribe. You make sure you find other people around you that you can walk in unity with because that's what makes you unstoppable. When you want to be unstoppable, make sure you show up for church on Sunday even when the clock goes back, uh, goes forward another hour. You just make sure you make it to church because that's where, where, we, where we gather together in unity. That's where we are of one mind and, and seeking Jesus, seeking more of him in our lives. That's where he is in the midst of us. That's where we, we, fight, we, fight, the, we, we fight the battles and, and, and find the victory that God has for us. It makes us unstoppable. Make church, make small groups a priority. But there's a third point, point that is simply amazing. Thousands of years after that story, after that event in Babel, something other historic took place in the city of Jerusalem. And it was a festival that, that was called Shavuot, which in our language is Pentecost. And, and all those Jews who were living all over the world that was known back then, you know, they came together to the city of, of Jerusalem to be like pilgrims and and, and maybe they understood a little bit of Hebrew or, or Aramaic, whatever language they were speaking in Jerusalem in those days. They understood a little bit of that. It's kind of like, you know, somebody who, like a Dutch family that moved to Canada or Australia about 50 years ago, they still understand a little bit of Dutch. Maybe a family like that that lived far away and they still understand a little bit of Dutch, but it's not their, they're not fluent in it anymore. That was like these... These Jews that were gathered in the city of Jerusalem, they, they, they all spoke their own languages. They spoke maybe Parthian or Medan, or they spoke Greek or Hebrew. Uh, sorry, not, not, Greek, not Hebrew, but Greek or, or Latin. They spoke languages that were normally not being spoken there in, in the city. And what they didn't know was that there was a group of Christians, of believers, who had just witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, and we're going to celebrate that next week big time. And, and they were gathered together in an upper room somewhere, I don't know, in a cafe or so, or a restaurant in the city of Jerusalem. And they were waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, a promise that Jesus himself had given to them. He said this, wait for the promise of the Father, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And these people had no clue what the fulfillment of that promise would look like. But 10 days later, that promise was fulfilled. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues and other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. In a blaze of Pentecost fire, all the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, as a, and the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in other languages. Now, just for you to know, just kind of theologically, for, so you understand where, where, where I stand. You know, the New Testament speaks about the gift of tongues, and the gift of tongues, when you use it in a, in, a, in a church meeting like this one, it has to be followed with, coupled with uh, interpretation of tongues. And then it has the same value as prophecy, which is basically you're speaking for God. You're speaking on behalf of God. 
There's another um, aspect of the gift of tongues that the Bible speaks about, and that's like in your own quiet time, in your devotional time, where you speak a language that is a language that you've never learned. It's like a heavenly language. It's like a secret prayer language that God gives you, His Holy Spirit gives you. And it, and it builds you up, the Bible says. It builds you up. And I, I do it all the time in my prayer time because it builds me up. I love that. But what happens here in, in Jerusalem is something different. The disciples went out into the streets and now you have all these pilgrims who hardly speak Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever. And, and then you know, they were awestruck because these guys went out into the street and they started to speak about the great things that God has done in their, in their languages, all the people who were present there. They were like, how is this possible? He had got these followers of Jesus, these, these guys who hardly had any education. They're from, from this province, this, this backyard somewhere of, of our nation in, in Galilee. And, and, you know, they would expect them only to be able to speak Hebrew and, and maybe a little bit of Greek because they were, you know, in, in trade. But that was about it. And they heard them speak their own languages of the great things that God has done. And they were all like wondering. What was going on right here? At Pentecost, the curse of Babel was reversed. Or rather, the curse of Babel has been overcome. The diversity of man, uh, fallen mankind leads to division and racism and class struggles or even genocide. You know, just look at history. But Pentecost overcomes the forced unity of Babel and the dividing diversity after Babel. All at the same time. At Pentecost, each person could hear the wonderful things of God in their own language, not in some kind of universal language, like, like Mandarin or French or English or German or whatever language you could think of, or even Esperanto. It was in their own language. Pentecost did not reverse diversity because God loves diversity. How I mean, you know that God loves diversity? God loves the different skin colors that we have. God, God loves the different cultures that we have, have. God loves the different languages that we speak. He loves it. It's beautiful. In fact, when, when we're in heaven, you know, the, uh, Revelation speaks about it. When we're standing before God's throne, it says this, that a great multitude with, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, they were worshiping the Lord in white robes. God loves diversity. Diversity is God's idea. Only the divisions caused by our fallen nature and prejudice are reversed. That's why the church needs to be a diverse yet united church. Pentecost overcomes Babel by doing more than just reversing it. Pentecost is a celebration of restored communication between God and mankind and between people as well. That's the gift of Pentecost. It's a down payment of something even even bigger and even bigger restoration that God wants to do in our lives that God wants to do in this world and it's you know that's God wants to bring restoration to our creation and that takes me to my third and last take home whatever's broken God wants to restore whatever is broken God wants to fix and you might be here today you might be suffering you might be going through a hard time maybe friendships, a relationship to your kids, your, your spouse, maybe at work, maybe you suffer health-wise. And it, you may feel broken, you may feel weird, you may feel like God has turned his back on you. But God told me to tell you today 
that after a season of suffering, God in all his grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter 5.10. I believe that's a promise for you today. I believe it's a promise for your life. I believe it's a promise for your family. It's a promise for your work situation, your business. He wants to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Maybe we could just close our eyes and bow our heads just a moment. There's a couple of scriptures that I want to want to read. I want to want to prophesy over you, and I believe that God is going to speak to you through these scriptures. He's gonna He's gonna make you believe again the amazing promises that God has for your life. So so let these just explode in your heart. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You may have been weeping. You may have had a rough, rough time, but joy comes in the morning. Breakthrough is coming for you. Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. No matter that the enemy of your soul is hemming you in, no matter if there's like like people around you that feel like they're your enemy, God is with you in the middle of that. In fact, he, he prepares a table before you and, and he says, you know, you could just have the, 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 the greatest feast, the greatest celebration of my presence, even though your world seems, may seem to be falling apart, I'm there with you right there and I'm gonna give you victory. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. Or this one. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They've, they shall mount up with wings like the eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love this one. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and you're safe. You know what? If you're broken today, you're in for a breakthrough. If you're broken today, you're in for a big restoration. If you're broken today, God wants to shower his love and his blessing upon you right now. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who restores what is broken. That you're a God that when we go through the roughest seasons in our lives, that you're with us in these roughest moments, that you still have a plan, that you still have a purpose, that you set that table before us in the presence of our enemies. God, that we can experience and celebrate your presence and your beauty and the relationship we may have with you, even though our world may seem to fall apart. But God, we also look forward to that moment where everything will be restored, where this world will be restored, where, my li- where our lives will be restored fully. We thank you, God, that you're a God who brings restoration. That you're a God who always has, to, has the best intentions towards us, Lord. God, bring restoration. Mend, mend hearts that are broken today. Heal people that are physically suffering. God, you're able to bring that restoration. It goes way beyond healing the divide between all the cultures and, and, and nations and languages, Lord. There's a, there's a bigger restoration you want to do in each of us, Lord. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can have a down payment of that when we're 
of a relationship with you when we're part of a community like this one, God. God, we worship you. We praise you for that. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe, maybe you're here in this room right now. And maybe you feel like your life is falling apart and maybe you're even thinking that God is mad at you. I can tell you this, God is not mad at you. He, has, he loves you. He has the best intentions in mind for you. He wants to help you. <coughs> he wants to help you overcome the struggles that you're facing in your life. He wants to make your life new. So whatever you're facing right now, I want to pray with you. If you feel like God is a million miles away, if you feel like there's a distance between you and him, he did everything that he could in his power by reaching out to you through his son Jesus. And when we accept Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins because of what he's done, what he's done on the cross. And, and we can find eternal life and abundant life because he rose again from the dead. And if you're here today and you've never made the decision to, to accept him for your life, it's just one step, short step away for you right now. Just one short step to accept him as your Lord and your Savior. Even if you're watching online, maybe this is a step that you'll, you should take today. If that's you, if you want to experience God's smile again in your life, if you want to restore, see the relationship with Him restored or maybe started for the first time, I want you to take a bold step with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Every eye closed. Just raise your hand if that's you. If you want to be, be restored in relationship with God, no matter what's happened. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just take a bold step right now. See a hand right there. Thank you. See a hand right there. Thank you so much. I know there's more people that, that need to raise their hands. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Maybe we could pray this out loud. I thank you for your son, Jesus, that he came to this world, died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven, rose again on the third day so that I may have life, life abundant, life eternal. Today I choose to follow you, Jesus. Today I make you Lord and Savior over my life. Thank you for giving me a hope and a future. And thank you for restoring my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's put our hands together for those who made a decision this morning.